Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of Him through this journey. Thank you for joining us, and may burning witnesses arise. I have the privilege to introduce a kingdom man who's a faithful father, who's a faithful husband. Uh, right? We, we, we got to get out of the, the nonsense of exalting and esteeming people that are wildly gifted but haven't necessarily been as transformed as we think they should be. Right? Well, man, like you're super anointed and so I'm going to put up with all the other stuff. <laughs> we need people that are actually transformed, whose lives actually bear the image of Jesus, who have become a pattern they can be followed. They can be replicated. They can be mirrored in a sense. We can walk with them and glean from them and learn from what it is that God has done in them and now the way that their lives have been laid down in the midst of others that have access to see what that looks like. And Jeff Hubing is that man. I understand that there's cross-culture family here that you realize what a treasure you have in Jeff and Carol and their family along with the other leaders. Uh, let, let, let me see, where, where, where's the cross-culture fam at? <laughs> Let's go. They represent a beautiful people. They are doing a precious and powerful work here. They are laying their lives down in this harvest field to see God's purposes fulfilled. They are bleeding for the purposes of God in their moment of history. So I'm going to ask you to stand up on your feet as we are going to welcome Jeff Hubing. Bro, I love you. We believe in you guys. We're honored that you would be here with us. Thank you. Uh, you guys can be seated. I don't really know how it's possible to live up to an introduction like that. So probably everything I'm going to say at this point will be a disappointment. I apologize for that in advance. <laughs> yeah. John 14 uh, is where we're going to start. Thank you, Mike, Anna. Um, you guys are amazing people. It, it's, it's really an honor and a privilege to be here with you guys, to be able to stand next to you and link arms for this work. The Burning Ones team, you guys are phenomenal. The way that you put your hearts and souls into this work, uh, especially you, Stephen Brickhouse. I know you don't like your name mentioned up here, but somebody give Stephen some love. This guy, the logistical mastermind, unbelievable. But it's really a joy to be here. I, I was thinking about it this morning. Some of my favorite people in the world are in this room. It absolutely feels like a privilege and something that we shouldn't be able to be doing. Uh, it's, it's almost, you know, I had, a, we had, I had a, uh, this guy that we used to know, Danielle. Do you remember uh, Larry? He would always talk. When, when, there was this guy. He was all Chicago. You'd see him every Sunday morning. He'd, how you doing? How you doing, buddy? All Chicago. And you come up to him and say, how you doing, Larry? And he always, he'd always say the same thing. Do you remember? Having more fun than a Christian should have, is what he would say. 
That's how this feels. Feels like we're having more fun than we should. <laughs> but we're not. The kingdom of God is peace, righteousness, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So it's okay. But I'm really grateful to be here. I'm really grateful to share this word with you guys from uh, John 14. We're going to be toward the end of the chapter. Um, let, let me just read this passage and then pray. I'm going to pick it up in about verse, what is that, 25? When Jesus, you know, we're in the context here, the, the last hours that he's spending with his disciples before he's going to be arrested, put on trial, condemned to death, be tortured, be beaten, be nailed to um, pieces of wood and left for dead. So this is, these are those dramatic last words, the final moments. And he says this, these things I've spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled because I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. And now that I've told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has nothing in me. But I do as the Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise. Let's go from here. Let's go. Lord, thank you so much for these moments. I pray that you would absolutely sanctify them with your presence and with the power that comes from your word and your authority. I'm asking you, Lord, to make it possible for me to convey the word that's in your heart because I know I can't do it. And so please, even as you promised in this passage that you would send the counselor, the advocate, the helper, help me. Help me to speak in the way that would honor you and bring encouragement and wisdom and grace and strength and truth to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As I was preparing for this morning, the, these three words were like haunting me. Nothing in me. From, from John 14, verse 30, the statement and the testimony of Jesus about the nature of of his relationship with the prince of the world. And he, in these last moments, with what seems to be an impossible level of calm, is, is just, you know, the, the disciples are the ones that should be worried about him. He, he is the one worried about them. In, in a way, he's saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. And I, I could just envision him gazing directly into each of their eyes as he looks around that table don't let your hearts be troubled he knows what's coming he knows that the darkest day of human history is just hours away he knows that the most unjust impossible thing 
that has ever happened on the face of the planet is about to happen. But he is unmoved by any of that. He knows that the enemy of the souls of human beings, he knows that the enemy of God is about to take a step in a direction that will mean the end of his physical life. He knows that's coming. And there is just almost an, just a, a level of confidence and rest about these words. Don't let your hearts be troubled. He's coming. But he has nothing in me. That is such a powerful statement of freedom. And, and, and I was just meditating on this as we were getting ready to gather and thinking to myself, he has nothing in me. These are the words that we need to be able to say with confidence and without any hint of hypocrisy or pretending. The devil may rule the world, but he has nothing in me. This is Jesus' statement. There is a cleanness inside of him. There is a purity inside of him. It's like on the inside, he, he's, he's built in such a way that it's like Teflon. Like nothing sticks to him. Nothing's going to get a grip on him. He's completely free on the inside. There's no pull. There's no attraction. There's nothing anyone has over him to make him bow. In those moments, just before that, that dark time in the garden, he's, he's, he's stepping into it, but with such a clarity, he has nothing to get a hold of inside me. The way that the uh, English Standard Version translates it is that he has no claim on me. When you have a claim on someone, you have a right to point out something that they did wrong. Any insurance people in the room? You know how this works? <laughs> I'm filing a claim. You know, a, a claim is when like someone dented my car and buddy, you're going to pay. But in Jesus's world, he's fully aware of this. There is no claim. There is nothing to point to. There is no hook that hell can put on the inside of this man and say, you owe us something. There's been no area of compromise. There's been no area of failure. There's been no area where for one millisecond has he bowed the knee to anything other than his father. He's free. There's no authority, there's no idolatry that can stick its, 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 its hands into Jesus' own heart or conscience and say, gotcha. There's nothing there. I believe, like in this hour, this is a point of contrast that we need to be aware of between the truth about Jesus and the truth about where the body of Jesus Christ is today. 
I believe if we're honest, we can look around and see that we can't make this same claim. He has nothing in us. I believe we need to. And we, we are on the track to doing that. But if we're honest, we have to take a look around. We have to realize there might be things in us that are not simply coming from the Father and his agenda, but they're coming from somewhere else. And they're in, and therefore there's a, there's a, a place of compromise, there's a place of bending that we've been willing to cater to. Whether it's because of fear or pride, because of lust, it could be because of greed, it could be because of envy. See, these are things in us that ought not to be. When I first heard your, um, was it the dream about the bodybuilder? See, one of the things that provoked these gatherings was an encounter that Mike had with the Lord. When he saw a principality dressed and, and, and I think defined as a grand wizard, a, a leader of the Ku Klux Klan, this awfully racist movement. That, I mean, it's just, he, he said that there's, a, there's the, a principality threatening the people. And in the vision, up pulls a limousine. Obviously, right? Someone important. And out of the limousine pops this massive, like Hulk Hogan uh, type bodybuilder type character. And he pops out of that vehicle and he, he looks the part. He feels the part. Everybody sees this guy and is like, wow. And he starts commanding this principality to back off. In the name of Jesus, he shouts. And the principality talks back in such a way that it's like, what do, you th- what do you think you're doing? You think that's all it's going to take? And then he starts saying, what are you going to do about this? Beauty, narcissism, vanity. What's the fourth one? Materialism. And the bodybuilder drops his head and hangs his head in shame. Like, this is a picture. This is what I'm talking about. The principality knows what's inside. The spiritual world is not hidden from spiritual beings. That guy came at the principality like just Jesus is a magic charm. But the principality knew that if there's no real Jesus in the person, the charm is not going to get the job done. Nothing in me. The bodybuilder couldn't make that claim. The, the, the representation of the church. We, we think we're going to come out here and call down principalities. And the principalities are like, do you understand that I'm already inside you? You think you can command me out here when I'm up in there? It's not going to happen. And the sooner we come to grips with that, the sooner we can change it. We can't just keep pretending it's not real. We can't just keep pretending that there's a nice surface veneer, that we look okay, we look the part, we're doing certain things different from the world, but internally there's still a grip. 
there's still a place to sink a hook. There's still something inside that prevents us from being free enough to execute the Father's agenda. We can't command something externally that we have tolerated internally. Can't bring it down out there if it's still alive in here. It won't work. I'm about to. Thank you. Here, here's the reality. This is what happens to us. We talk about being free. We talk about being alive in Christ. We talk about these things. But in reality, it's window dressing half the time. Because it, we, we get up into these situations where we're like, well, I'm in business. I'm glad you're in business, but business can't be in you. I'm in marketing. I'm fantastic. I'm glad you're in marketing, but marketing can't be in you. Well, I'm in politics. Great, but politics can't be in you. There's another reality in here that has to exercise authority out here. But if it's not right here, it will never go right out there. We're called into these places of influence, these places of responsibility, these places of, 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 of submission to God's agenda. But man, if inside the agenda of heaven is being poisoned, compromised, bent, twisted from some other agenda, authority, or power, man, then we're going to find ourselves helpless when it comes time to actually engage spiritual powers. If things don't line up here, they'll never line up out there. It's, the, it's those places of internal compromise that generate the, the external compromise. I think this is Jesus' teaching about the kingdom. You know, he, Matthew 5 through 7. And everybody said, well, I've never committed murder. Congratulations. But hey, if you've hated your brother in your heart, you're already guilty. Well, you see, I've never committed adultery. Oh, okay. Well, I'm sure you're fine then. No, you're not fine because if in your heart you've ever lusted after a woman, you're already guilty of that. It's, the kingdom begins here and then manifests itself out there. But somehow we think we could just plaster a bumper sticker on the back and a t-shirt, I mean, the t-shirts are great, don't get me wrong. But the t-shirt and the bumper sticker do not translate to real authority. What translates to real authority is being free inside. So you can say, he has nothing in me. I thought of um, the example from the Bible. You guys remember Saul, the first king of Israel? Saul was chosen as king, and kind of like the bodybuilder, he looked the part. According to the Bible, he was, what, half a head taller or a head taller than everybody else? He, he was like, I mean, this dude, he was kind of like probably cut the way Mike is, but may, maybe taller. Like tall, like how Stephen is. No offense, Stephen, but uh, he, he, he was like, this guy is the guy we want to rally around. But there was something inside of Saul that he never dealt with called fear. He never dealt with it. What, what, was, what happened the first day they tried to make him king? Where did he go? He's hiding in the luggage. 
He doesn't want, there's something inside him that he was never free from. So he could never rule right. And that day came in 1 Samuel 15. There's a battle that's won. The prophet gives him instructions. He says, listen, sacrifice everything. Kill it. Burn it all in fire. Whatever it is. And Samuel takes his time showing up. By the way, there's a word in that somewhere. Sometimes the Lord takes his time showing up just to kind of see. See what you're going to do. What were the instructions again? Well, he's not, he's, he's, he's delaying, so I'll just take matters into my own hands. He's delayed. So what does Saul do? He doesn't burn everything. He lets the people take the best cattle and the best everything. And Samuel shows up on the scene. And Saul is like, Samuel! I mean, super excited. And uh, Samuel doesn't even play. He's like, why do I hear this bleeding of sheep? He's well, you know, uh, I, you know, I did everything you said. If you did everything I said, I wouldn't hear this bleeding of sheep. He's like, well, okay. And the Bible, the Bible actually says this was Saul's confession to Samuel. First, first Samuel 15, 24. I feared the people. And obeyed their voice. Now come back with me so that they'll know I'm still king. Do you see how the insanity of that combination of statements? Come back with me so I can rule them. Oh, by the way, they're ruling me on the inside. He was not free in here. He could never exercise authority out there. The people ruled him in here. He's never going to rule them out there. And that was the day Samuel said, you're done. And he went to find David. That's a parable. That's a parable of where we're at in the body of Christ in this generation. And it's got to change. We can't just be out here trying to curse things and command things and bind things. But then inside, the talons are still sticking there. Like, how is that going to work? We need to be clean in here, and then we'll see authority out here. So how did Jesus manage that? How did he manage to be able to say, he has nothing in me? Well, he tells us, actually, verse 31. He has nothing in me, rather, this is a translation I would prefer, <laughs> rather, he says, I do as the Father has commanded me. What's the secret to freedom, brother Jeff? What is it? Is it a fasting routine that you guys do? Is it, you know, is it the, you know, what's the secret to freedom? It's not a secret. The, the secret to freedom is pursuing the agenda of heaven. The reason the devil has no claim on Jesus is because Jesus is fully invested in his father's will. He's only about that. So when these opportunities for temptation and compromise pop up on the scene, they find nowhere to rest inside him because there's no access points. 
Because his whole mind and heart are just given over to whatever the Father's agenda is. That's what I'm doing. That's freedom. Some of you guys who have been in some of my classes in the past, you probably remember me saying this, but freedom is not doing whatever you want. Any idiot can do that. No offense to any idiots out there. Free, freedom is not doing whatever you want. Anyone can do that. Freedom is being, powered, being empowered to do what you know is right. A free man, a free woman, is the one who knows what's right and does it with a full heart. That's being free. Being free is, it begins with that conviction that there is something that's right. And I'm going for it with everything I've got. And by divine power, I'm going to live that out. Freedom is not having a divided heart. Freedom is having a single eye, as Jesus says, a single focus, a single place of devotion and commitment that never wavers. That, see, to establish that in your life is the way of freedom. Because otherwise, what happens? You're blown back and forth. By every opinion, every argument, as, as guys were talking about earlier, every cause that comes and pulls on you, pulls on you. Save the whales. Oh, come on, you know, save the porpoises. What are we saving today? Save, save this, save that. We got to reach out for these. We got to do that. This and all the causes and all the agenda items. And you don't know what's going on inside. Jesus was not confused about what he was doing, he had a cause capital C, and it was eternal. Grounded in the heart of God, Ephesians 3.11 calls it God's eternal purpose. It hasn't changed since the beginning of time. It has to do with God establishing himself on a planet through a people that will bear his likeness and that will execute responsibility as he does in the heavens. That's an international people formed in his son by his spirit for his glory that has never changed and it's never going to change if we can get our souls anchored to that purpose we'll be free doesn't mean there aren't causes and worthy things that we could do but guys they have to be submitted to the one cause that will never change they have to be either extensions of that or it has to be integrated into our cause or those things just have to drop. Jesus was a free man because he understood that. He understood his responsibility was to the Father's will. We need to come to grips with that because in, in, a, in a sense, we don't first and foremost have a freedom problem. We first and foremost have an obedience problem. <laughs> I mean, the, the reason we're not free is because we don't obey. And when we don't obey, compromise. And when we compromise, hooks. Amen? We, need a, we don't have just a freedom problem. We have an obedience problem. The king's agenda is the way to be free. And if we don't sign on to that and give ourselves to it fully, then the freedom will continue to be an illusion or a performance. And I don't know which is worse. King's agenda is the way to freedom, and Jesus was totally aware of this. He, uh, he had the character 
of a free man. And therefore, he could operate freely. A good friend of mine, some might even say best friend, uh, Bob Gladstone, wrote a book. If you don't have this, I want to encourage you to invest the $50. What is it? No, it's not that much. Whatever it is, it's worth 50 It's worth hundreds. It's worth thousands of dollars. I don't know. It's called The Marks of the Cross. Bob one of my best friends, he calls this character trait of Jesus meekness. What is meekness? I just want to read this. Honestly, Bob could have just come and preached this. So, I don't know. You asked me, so I'm doing it, but listen, listen to this. True meekness is the condition of character that has absolutely no agenda except for God's. Jesus was meek because he came to earth with no plans of his own. No mission except the one God gave him. He had no personal ambition, no private scheme to promote or protect, no need to watch over his reputation. Jesus did not seek a holy grail that promised personal fulfillment while derailing him from his God-given mission. In fact, he found no satisfaction in this present age. I have food to eat that you don't know about, John 4.32. Only the Father's mission filled the craving in Jesus' mighty heart. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That is meekness. It says, your kingdom come. Your will be done at whatever cost necessary to me. Nothing else satisfies. Every other consideration is dead. I have nothing to possess or gain in this world except your will. No one could steal that from Jesus. No one could threaten him. His well-being and identity were determined and sheltered by his meekness. Just a couple more points. None of the special interest groups of Israel could prevail upon him to join their cause or even support them. No Pharisee could convert him to their Puritan movement. No Sadducee could pressure him into temple politics. No zealot could recruit him into militant nationalism. Not even Judas's betrayal could tempt him to defend his honor. He never had to calculate his words to maintain popular opinion. He never feared the cost of obedience, and as a result, he could hear the Spirit's faintest whispers and feel the subtlest promptings, having no self-interest or commitment to self-preservation. Jesus was acutely sensitive to the will of the one with whom he had to do, and that precisely was his meekness. Guys, the name of Jesus is powerful because the character of Jesus is flawless. So let us not be spouting off about the one and not reproducing the other. Because if we do that, we're going to get into trouble and not the good kind. 
I say, I don't know about that, Brother Jeff. I think you're just, I think you've gone too far, frankly. I think as long as we use the name of Jesus, we'll never fail. Oh, okay. Just a quick reference point then. This is in your Bible. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but it's found in Acts chapter 19. All right. That, now, this story, not just one dude, seven dudes. The infamous seven sons of Sceva. Poor Sceva, man. His boys go down in eternity because of this story. It's like, what did Sceva do? That's what I want to know. Like, what did he do, man, to get remembered this way? The seven guys, the seven strapping lads of Sceva. You know what they're doing? They're going around casting out demons. And they're doing it like this here. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out. Sorry for anybody from the south. It just, when I get a little bit like that, it's, it's in my head, it's a southern accent. I don't know why. But that's what they're doing. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out. Now, what's weird about this is I assume they must have had a little bit of success or they wouldn't have, like, been doing it. Unless, of course, this is their first time, in which case that's a lot of boldness. But maybe, maybe there was a degree of success. Maybe they had some, I don't know, some kind of uh, impact. But in Acts 19, they ran up against somebody who was some being that was not ready to play their game. So they come out there and like, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, and the demon talks back. I know Jesus. I know Paul. That leaves you. I don't know who you are. Bam! You know, the demon lays into the seven strapping lads of Sceva. And according to the text, they run out the house naked and bleeding. In the name of Jesus. Look, you can use the name of Jesus like a magic charm. But be ready when the magic comes back on you because you're not equipped to use the name. Because the power is connected to the character. The reason for the authority is because he's clean inside. The reason he can use the name is because the name matches the interior. The announcement matches the, the maturity. His character was flawless. That's why his name was powerful. Look, we're invited into that power of that name but not without the character part. If we keep shouting at cosmic powers, expecting them to fall, but they still have our hooks, their hooks right in here, do you think they're going to obey? I don't. In fact, I know they're not. We, we love to quote Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. I mean, we're fighting these battles, not flesh and blood, powers, principalities. And, we, and look, the text is true. We're doing that. But I don't think we always understand how to do it. Because we, we get into the spiritual warfare mode and 
I'm not saying we shouldn't fast and pray, and I'm not saying we shouldn't make proclamations and declarations, but God, again, as my good friend, maybe my best friend, Bob Gladstone once said, he said, there's a reason Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 comes after Ephesians 1 through Ephesians 6, 9. Like you... Did you ever notice that there's a full five and a half chapters worth of extra instruction and exhortation before you start engaging cosmic powers? Did you ever notice the, the urging and the, the, the command to unity and diversity to the ministry of gifts and, and the body building of itself up in love in chapter four, the speaking to one another with, with truth and love, not hating one another. Uh, Ephesians 4.27, not giving the devil, a place. Be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives to husbands, children to parents, slaves to masters. Uh, then, then husbands, washing your wives, nurturing them, caring for them. It's the mystery of Christ and the church I'm talking about. Do that. Guys, if, if we're just trying to stand out here and compete against cosmic powers who have been around for millennia, who have hidden in rocks in the Sahara Desert for thousands of years and just now maybe are waking up to some kind of crazy assignment to, to principalities that have existed over people groups for century after century after century. If you think we're just going to stand outside, point a finger, and use the name of Jesus, well, on the inside we're hollow, powerless, divided, broken. Accusing one another, slandering one another, that's going nowhere. For principalities to fall, the church of Jesus Christ has to emerge. For principalities to fall, the body of Jesus has to rise up into the head. That's why this is so critically important. That's the agenda. That should be preoccupying us all the time. Because that's the agenda that's occupying God all the time. From before the foundation of the world. And what we need to achieve that is, it's called the cross. Where all these other competing claims can be put down. Where all these other temptations and opportunities and, and causes, we just can come and lay them down. And we can deal with what A.W. Tozer called the hyphenated sins. Self-sufficiency. Self-confidence. Self-interest. Self-preservation. We'll never obey if there's not a death and a resurrection to newness of life. The cross is God's instrument. It's his scalpel for cutting away the sin-hardened areas of our lives and giving us a fresh, soft heart so that now when the voice and the whisper and the, the promptings of the Lord come our way, we are capable of responding to them.
It's, it's a way of life. It's the way of the cross. The cross was not just a moment in the life of Jesus. It was the culmination of a way that he embraced. Every day of Jesus' life was a cross. Every day of his life was an opportunity to say no to some other idea, to say no to some other opportunity, to say no to some other temptation. The Bible tells us very clearly he was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. He didn't just wake up one morning and let them nail him to a cross. Instead, every day he was nailed to a cross in a fresh way so he could embrace the agenda of the Father. He lived the cross every day before he was ever nailed to one. That is the kind of power that we need in our lives, a people of the cross. So just, man, just to cut off all the other options, all the other ideas, all the other plans. There's just, there is one that we need to embrace. So we don't just have a freedom problem, we have an obedience problem. But why do we have an obedience problem when you get right down to it? Well, happily, Jesus also tells us that. Because the last thing he says is this, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. I love him. We have an obedience problem because we have a love problem. <laughs> Guys, when we, when we get right down to it, this is the core issue. In the next chapter, in John 15, Jesus will tell his disciples plainly, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. We, we don't just decide not to obey because we get a better offer in the moment, usually. Usually we decide not to obey because we think either God's holding out on us or he can't be trusted. There's something in here that doesn't love God fully, that is not given fully to him. And that poisons our thinking from the inside so that when we come to the place of obedience, we don't know if it's worth it. For Jesus, his eternal love with the Father is what frames everything. On this uh, platform last night, we were, we were invited to consider the prehistory of God. <laughs> Corey was talking about, you know, before the beginning, what was there, right? And there was just God. God. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in eternal, blissful fellowship. It's really important to be aware of this. And I, I appreciated what he was sharing last night because sometimes, and I don't know how we got this into some of our thinking, but sometimes we think that God created people because he was bored. Or God created people because he needed something. He needed someone. I mean, both of these things are flat out wrong. I mean, just think about this. God is the most fascinating being in the, in the universe and beyond it. He's completely within himself at perfect rest, perfect peace, 
perfect joy. I mean, it's the nature of the kingdom is joy. I mean, I just, it's not, it's, not re, it's not reasonable to me to think of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit looking at each other thinking, what should we do today? I don't know. I'm pretty bored, Father. You know, like, I don't think that's real. Ancient Greek theologians had a word for the, the Godhead. They called it the perichoresis. It means circle dance. Who's been at a Greek wedding? Come on now. Come on, Greeks. Come on, my brothers. Opa, if you've ever been at a Greek wedding, just give it enough time and the circle dance will begin. And it's, I forget the steps, but it's like a one, two, three, and a back, and a turn, and something like this. And it just goes round and round for like hours. And when everybody gets tired, they stop, and then somebody goes in the middle and does a solo. I don't know what that's called. I don't know how you guys organize it. But they'll just stop, and they'll go in the middle of the solo. And then the circle dance will start up again, and you hold everybody's hand and you're just going around this is the way some of our founding fathers in the christian faith conceived of god in and of himself as an unending cosmic circle dance of bliss come on where's eric gilmore at (laughs) my brother the bliss begins within god himself he creates out of that bliss he creates out of that joy He creates people to share it with, not because he's bored of it, but because he's just like, wouldn't it be cool to share this with other things we make? You know, it's like, yes. The father and the son were from forever in a love relationship. And that's why when the plan was put in place, the son happily said, I'll go. I love you. I believe in what you're saying. I will do it with all my heart. Some of these people out here thinking God's a cosmic child abuser, they have no idea. Jesus was not convinced against his will. Jesus is in total solidarity with his father. His plan was Jesus' plan. And he said, I'm in. And out of love, he obeyed. We have an obedience problem because we have a love problem. And we have a love problem because we're distracted. We're distracted. We get pulled, we get teased, and we think somehow that there's a better option. Or we get tired. Or we equate love with just a moment of an, like an emotional experience. I believe love should be emotional. Emotion is not wrong. We're created in the image of God. We have emotions because he feels them. Emotions are right. The difference between us and God is that, is that just imagine if your emotions were always in line with what was true. See, our problem is sometimes we get emotional, but it's not grounded in truth. God never has that problem. His emotions are always consistent with truth. So it's right for us to feel love for God. But love is deeper than that. Love is like this. It's like covenant loyalty to death. God only knows how to love one way. And it's through covenant. 
It's through family. It's through his eternal relationship with the son. And when he thought about the father's agenda, the way he understood his covenant relationship, his loyal love with the father was like, there is no other agenda worth pursuing. Love motivated him to that. Love convinced him of that. Love persuaded him that God, his father's way, had to be right. And that's what generated his obedience. Not some weird sense of shame. Not some weird desire to like prove you're worthy. Not some weird whatever kind of theological system. It was just covenant loyalty. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website, burningones.org, or download our app.